Why are robots never lonely? Because there are two of them. <laughs> hey, shh. Welcome back to Not Another Needless Sequel, where we talk movies and propose unnecessary prequels, sequels, reboots, and remakes. I'm your host, Kane, and today I have with me my wife, Kelsey. Jigolo Joe, what do you know? Kelsey will be my co-host as we discuss 2001's AI artificial intelligence. What's the story? These people have created Mecha, which are artificial intelligence like robots, and they've made all different kinds, and now they're on to making children. This family gets David, and all David ever wanted was to be a real boy and with his mom because she imprinted on him. And it's him trying to find the blue fairy to become a real boy because that's what happens in the movie Pinocchio. So the movie does start off with Professor Hobby discussing to his colleagues that their company needs to make a robot that can actually love. And he's proposing that they make a child. And they do say in that scene, one of the colleagues uh, speaks up and says, what responsibility does that person who would receive that Mecca hold towards loving the Mecca that would love them. And I think that that was foreshadowing for maybe like the entire movie because you do kind of see that as the movie progresses, her question really shows. So after you see that, we get an introduction to the family that is going to get the first child robot. Henry and Monica, they have a child that is sick with some sort of disease that science can't cure yet so he's in a cryogenic state while they work on that and they are mourning the kid so henry thinks it's a good idea when he's offered by his company to bring home this child robot david uh, one thing about david is you may have noticed like during the movie obviously how inhuman he sometimes seems in order to further his non-human appearance each day before filming any of Haley Joel Osment's exposed skin was shaved to give him a more plastic look. I mean, obviously, he's a child. You know, he doesn't have a beard. But, you know, you get little tiny peach fuzz on your cheeks and stuff like that. And they just shaved him, which he did look really yeah. robotic in the very beginning. Yeah, he did. Yeah, it was creepy. Another thing I wrote down is whenever they do show the scene of Henry and Monica visiting their child in the cryopod, I thought it was kind of fucked up that... That cryopod is next to somebody else's cryopod where there was another family. Like, you just all have to sit next to each other, like, hanging out with your kids that are frozen. But when they first get David, obviously Monica's very upset, and I think it's mostly about her not wanting to feel like she's replacing her actual son. Which, yeah, it's kind of messed up when you think about it to replace your son. But it, it's such a weird thought of, would that be something that you would actually do? Replace your son with a robot. You can't have any more kids. You have your one son, which, not that another child would replace them either, but, and your one son is frozen in time. You know, not dead or anything like that. It's like, you know your son should come back to you, but it's an indefinite, like, pending period of when will you get your son back yeah i don't know when they like what they would have thought because my understanding was that martin had been out for a really long time and in order to make the wife happy it seemed like the wife was like a stay-at-home mom and because the dad really got it for her what i thought was weird was only one of them could imprint on him i mentioned that as well i thought because 
she ultimately obviously decides to imprint on him because just having a kid around makes her happier than not having one at all. And so, but why couldn't they imprint on him as parents? Because then the, the father had no relationship with him at all. Yeah, and I, I wrote that down. That I thought that was a problem with the design that you could only imprint on one child and, or excuse me, one parent. I mean, even after she imprints, I mean, yeah, we get like the scenes where she's very uncomfortable with him in the house for a little bit and eventually she decides to imprint. Once she does, he begins calling her mommy, but he still refers to Henry as Henry. Right. And it does seem like a huge design flaw because even though in this scenario it seems like it's more for her, you would think people signing up for this would expect to be a mother and father to this child, not just a one-way relationship. Right. Which, granted, it's supposedly the first one. Maybe this is a test, that kind of thing. But, yeah, I wrote that down as well. So, somewhere along the way, David is kind of like lonely i guess and monica decides to give him teddy the super toy i think teddy's like the best character of this entire movie i actually wrote that too <laughs> at the very end though i was like teddy was the best part of this movie i mean teddy is so cute as well yeah. like the way he moves and he actually is like an actual robot that they worked on making i mean obviously there's they had to do their own stuff along the way it's not like he was a walking talking robot but they worked super hard to make him look realistic in a sense. He did look realistic, I thought. Yeah, when he would walk and stuff, it, it definitely seemed, you know, you could tell it wasn't CGI. But Teddy is essentially a robot as well that becomes David's friend. and It was Martin's toy. Yes. Shortly after that, Martin is returned home. I guess they found the cure to his disease. They were able to treat it from home from this point on whatever martin comes home i have a comment about martin coming home so you know when martin comes home and he miraculously wakes up he looks half dead with the way that he's like all slumped over and like at yeah. this point of the movie i still thought because i'd never seen this movie prior to this so everybody knows i thought david was gonna be <laughs> so evil and it took a very dark and depressing term so I wrote down, you know, the way he's slumping. They should know David ain't gonna like that with him around. <laughs> but clearly, clearly things did not end up that way. Well, we don't know, I guess, how the cryogenic stuff works. So when Martin returns home, I guess a little bit of time passes and he's up and about. He's accustomed to the house again and he's hanging out with David. He kind of seems like an asshole right off the bat because the first scene you see him awake and moving, he grabs Teddy by like the ear and starts lifting him up and dragging him across the room. And Teddy says, Martin, no. And he puts him down and he says, we're going to call him and see who he comes to first and he makes david participate in that i also think that scene's funny because when monica comes in the room teddy says mommy and runs towards <laughs> monica yeah which is weird right <laughs> well i think he was just trying to get out of the situation but monica's like are they torturing you teddy <laughs> and it's like yes martin is torturing me yes. martin was the worst character of this entire movie he should have stayed frozen so Martin, after that, is trying to get David to break a toy that he has, which, oddly enough, is actually an amphibicopter toy, which is something that comes up in the movie later. But he's like, you should break this. They look better in pieces. And David's like, I can't. And then later on, they're eating at the table. David doesn't eat, but he sits at the table with them, and he kind of imitates them eating. He doesn't have food on his plate. He just has a fork or spoon and a plate and sits there doing the movements 
Martin decides to kind of antagonize him about that. He puts food in his mouth, shows it to him, chews it, swallows it, shows it to him that it's gone. He's like, you know, you can't do this. And David, I guess, gets upset and he decides he's going to try and eat. And they start having like this contest of who can shove the most spinach in their mouth all of a sudden. And what a gross food to pick. I know. Why couldn't they have picked like mashed potatoes? I don't know. Like, what a gross food to just shove in your mouth. I know, but David ultimately uh, gets damaged, which Teddy tries to save him in that moment as well. Teddy stops him when he's going to grab the spinach and says, David, you'll break. And uh, Teddy's kind of like the voice of reason through much of the movie. Mm -hmm. I mean, in the sense that this is a Pinocchio-type story, Teddy's very much the Jiminy Cricket for David. And so, anyway, David gets kind of fixed. They have to remove the spinach from his insides, which I kind of question that, because why would he have an opening in his mouth that would go down to there? you think his mouth would be a closed, just Ooh, that's hole, a good right? thought that I didn't have. Which, I mean, you know, what do I know about designing a robot? Maybe they had to have something, but I probably would have closed that off so that nothing could happen there. Right. Anyway, you are seeing this this progression of Martin manipulating David and them not getting along. You even see where Martin brings a storybook to Monica to read to the two of them. And it's the story of Pinocchio. And he kind of has a shitty smile on his face when he says, like, David's going to love it. And you almost see that he thinks this is going to affect David because it's a story about who's a real boy and who's, you know, not. And he's, like, trying to insult David with this story. And also, Monica flashes to her sitting in the bed with Martin alone and making David sit and sleep in the corner. And he originally just laid in that bed when Martin was gone. And so it's like, Mommy loves me more. It does seem really messed up. I mean, that, that scene makes me sad because you can see him trying to intently listen off from the side. And he's just on like the floor it looks like and you you know get him another bed something i know and they don't care so then there is a scene where martin tells david that you need to sneak into our parents room and cut monica's hair a lock of her hair because then she's gonna love you more based on some movie that they supposedly watched about a prince and a princess and david is like i can't what if we just ask her I'm not allowed. Like, he's trying to say no, and Martin manipulates him into doing it. So he ends up doing it because, again, the only thing he wants is for Monica to love him. Right. And he's especially maybe feeling not as loved now that Martin's home because of things like the bed that we mentioned. Um, The storybook makes him feel like he's not a real boy, especially compared to Martin. He wants to be able to eat. Yeah, he can't eat. Things like that. And so he sneaks into Monica and Henry's room with a pair of scissors. She wakes up as the scissors are right there near her face, and Henry wakes up as well. Henry, of course, freaks out, is grabbing David, shaking him. They think that he was maybe trying to hurt her. And the next scene is the birthday party for Martin, and Henry is basically telling Monica, like, we need to get rid of him. Monica says, no, you know, he wasn't trying to hurt me, and she's trying to stand up for him but Henry is pretty against him at this point which there's scenes earlier that again show the disconnect between Henry and David where Henry's not his father but it doesn't make sense because Henry was pushing for them to get him in the first place yes and now that Martin's home Henry definitely just wants to get rid of him Um, Monica while she doesn't show him the same love she definitely at least tried to keep them both 
she still felt something for David. Yeah. But during this birthday party, I mean, this, like, I mentioned to you while I was re-watching this movie that it is just such a depressingly sad and somber story. I don't know, like, even this scene, before everything goes wrong, David comes out to Martin with some box and says, Happy birthday, Martin, I made you this. And we don't get to see what that is. But the fact that even after he was manipulated for the hair cutting, the spinach thing, all of that, he's still trying to befriend Martin and made him some kind of present. And it's just really sad that Martin doesn't give a fuck about him. But Martin's friends are in the pool. They get out and they're super interested in this robot. They mention that robots have some kind of damage avoidance system where they know whether or not they're being hurt even though they don't have feelings. It's so they don't damage themselves, basically. And they take a knife, which... Why do you have a knife out at this kid's party? Why? I know, and where did he pull it from? Because they were just in the pool. The birthday cake table, I guess. Oh, that's right. It was dirty with icing. You're right. And so he takes the knife, and he starts shoving it into David's arm. David's reaction, based on his AI tells him that you're in danger. He grabs Martin, which is the closest thing to family he has near him, and says, keep me safe, Martin. And he's backing up, not realizing he's backing up into the pool with Martin. And they fall into the pool, and they sink down to the bottom. Several men jump into the pool to retrieve Martin, and they leave David at the bottom, which I get, David can breathe. But at the same time, they spend so much time separating David's arms off of Martin when David is shown to not weigh any more than a normal child. In fact, one of the lines for the movie, um, like the taglines, say David is 11 years old. David weighs 60 pounds. So it would have been easier, especially since there was two to three men down there, to just lift them both. Exactly. You would have gotten them out of the water sooner, but you made this point to treat David less than human and separate him from Martin and leave him there. I think it's all just showing what this movie is coming to a head, which we see later, that like that humans don't treat Mecca the same way and they look down upon them and just see them as like toys and garbage. Yeah, and they do mention that early in the movie when they're discussing making a child who can love. They say that there is a divide between Mecca and... say Mecca and Orga, and that people don't have all this love for robots. Not everybody does. But after this event, Henry pretty much has the final say in this and sends Monica to get rid of David. So Monica goes to see David and says that, you know, we're going to go for a drive in the country. She's supposed to bring him back to the company that made him, but she was told if she ever returns him due to the imprinting process, it can only be done like once, that he would be destroyed. Mm -hmm. On the way there, she can't do it. She still has some kind of love for him, and she pulls over into a forest clearing and abandons him. It's And Teddy. And Teddy, which I feel like the Teddy thing was an act of love towards David and leaving him with someone, like some friend, someone to talk to. Yeah. But it's such a depressing scene, seeing him beg her to please not leave him there. He says he's sorry for cutting her hair. He's sorry for hurting Martin. He's sorry he's not a real boy. He even says... If I can find the blue fairy and become a real boy, can I come home? Like, he doesn't understand that's not a real thing. He's going based on the story of Pinocchio, and it's just, it's so depressing. It's the end of the first act of the movie, basically. Right. And the next thing we get 
as he's abandoned in the forest is an introduction to another mecha, Gigolo Joe, who is a male prostitute robot. It pans to him, like, being with a woman who's like, I've never been with your kind before. Mm-hmm. But the cringiest line of the movie came at this moment. <laughs> and he says, once you're with a lover robot, you'll never want a real man again. Yeah. <laughs> I felt so uncomfortable in that moment. <laughs> Well, yeah, but I guess if the robots are this advanced, you would think, like, this robot is only gonna care about your needs, and that's it. And you don't have to worry about disease. You Like, it makes sense that they would speak so confidently, I guess, and apparently have so many sales on this kind of robot, which they mentioned in the beginning of the movie. But, yes, he's with a woman, and then he has, like, a necklace on that, like, gives him his next job, I guess. He goes to his next job, and the woman that he finds there is dead. Her husband found out that she was sleeping with him and killed her. And I guess because of the hate for Mechas, Joe assumes that that it's going to be blamed on him, and he goes on the run. Which it is. Yes, it is blamed on him. So he was correct in that. And he goes running. He cuts out like this registration license that he has built into him. I guess his working license. I mean, I assume prostitution in this universe is legal, at least for Mecca. Mm -hmm. And he ends up in the same forest that now David has wandered along in Mm -hmm. and David sees a garbage truck that's backing up into the middle of this forest and dumping just old pieces of different mechas and you see all these older mechas that still work coming out to this garbage pile to look for replacement parts and they are all hiding from these hunters that work for this place called the flesh fair which Monica mentions not to get anywhere near the flesh fair the Flesh Fair is like a, I guess, a fair where they just destroy robots because these are all people there that hate robots. David does get captured along with Gigolo Joe and all the other robots they see there. It made me sad when he was getting captured and he was holding on to Teddy. I thought Teddy was going to break for I real in that point because he's holding him and Teddy says, I'll break. I'll break. And he lets him go, which I don't know if he meant if you keep holding me and then let me go. I'll break, so you need to, like, let me go now. Or I don't, I'm not sure what he meant, but he didn't die from that fall. He follows this, like, moon air balloon they have that captured all of them, and they get to the Flesh Fair. And the thing about the Flesh Fair, it shows a lot of different mechas where you at first only saw, like, David. And I thought, like, they looked pretty good for an older movie. Like, Yeah, I agree. I thought the CGI was good in this movie. Yeah, and so I thought, I mean, obviously a lot of them look creepy, but it's like on purpose. It's not like they were badly done. So Stan Winston said the mechas were unlike anything audiences had seen before, and we were able to do it by using all the available technologies. From live-action puppetry to traditional makeups and practical-slash-CGI hybrid approaches, the Stan Winston studio robot makers pushed themselves to brand new levels of innovation. So they used all the tricks in the book basically to get them to look this good. And it pays off. I mean, because this many years later, it still looks really good. I thought it, I thought the movie still looked good. That was not why I docked points off of it in my overall score, I will say. Well, <laughs> now I know you didn't give it a perfect score. So I did not. During this flesh fair, they realized that David is a child they're confused because there is no children 
mechas as far as anybody knows up until this point and they try and one of the guys tries to pull him out of there but you know mad eye moody is there and he's like fuck that we're gonna destroy this kid and he brings him out onto stage with all the people watching and jiggle joe and Joe, because David won't let go of his hand. He, like, got scared and said, protect me, and started holding his hand, and he has not let go. And so they bring them both out there. David starts pleading for his life, and that kind of sets the crowd off. They're confused because robots don't normally plead for their life in that way. Plus, nobody's seen a child robot, so this seems unnatural. And honestly, even if you were about killing robots, this is a nasty scene to see. Something that looks like a kid get killed, you, you might not want to see that. Yeah. So they turn on the Flesh Fair people, and they, like, throw things. They storm the stage. It's crazy. And then that allows Gigolo Joe and David and Teddy to escape. And I think that that Flesh Fair is such a nasty, like, thing to... And you know, things like that would probably exist if we really got to a point like this. I mean, one of the things they even say when they're hunting down Gigolo Joe, they say, are you sure that's not a man? We don't want another Trenton incident. And they have, like, harpoons on the thing. So putting those things together, I'm assuming the Trenton incident is that they were in Trenton, New Jersey, saw somebody they thought was a robot and impaled them with a spear. And and then were like, oops. Yeah, I agree. But them allowing, they go to the woods, they're walking around, and Gigolo Joe you know, says we need to go to Rouge City to talk to Dr. No because David tells him he wants to be a real boy. Yes. And so then they hitchhike a ride with some, like, teenage kids (laughs) to Rouge City because Gigolo Joe tells him there'll be lots of willing and naked women there. I also like that Gigolo Joe's not quite understanding that the Blue Fairy is a fairy tale thing. He thinks this is just a woman, and he starts, like, telling David, like, I'm great at this. I'll make her scream. And it's just, like, David's a child. He's just like, yeah. (laughs) It's so uncomfortable. Yeah, (laughs) it's so... Gigolo Joe is definitely a cringy guy. I like him, but... I mean, I did too, but yeah. He, they do get there. They get to Dr. No in Rouge City. Rouge City is obviously, like, this futuristic, like, I don't know, Las Vegas-looking place, but that could just be all the neon make it look futuristic. Uh, Dr. No is a pretty interesting character. I mean, it's like a service more than a character uh-huh. where in this world people can go to Dr. No and they ask him anything and he seems to know, which, I mean, honestly, it's it's like Google. So it seems now a little silly when you look at it and you're like, <laughs> you have to go sit down and pay money yeah. to ask this guy a question. Uh, Dr. No does eventually point them towards the right spot and they say they need to go to Manhattan, which is like the end of the world, apparently, because Manhattan is underwater. And they steal an amphibicopter because like the cops show up to get Gigolo Joe And somewhere in that mess, David sees the amphibicopter that they landed in. He gets in there and starts trying to fly it, which allows Gigolo Joe to kind of escape from the cops again. And he gets in there with him. They fly to Manhattan. And based on the advice from Dr. No, they know they're looking for a very specific area. And you come to find out Dr. No's advice was actually placed by the company that made David to get him back to them. As they watched David the entire time, they mention like in a scene that they found him. They knew he was at the flesh fair. They probably could have got him right then, but they don't. They want to see what he does and where his choices lead him. They're like studying him. Yeah, I had so much to say about that. First off, New York is underwater. The bottoms of those buildings would be rotten and they would have (laughs) collapsed at this point. Yeah. 
So there's no way that those people could be living. They're still living there. Yeah, they have a business there. They have a business there. There's no way. Also, I did put like David being baited that whole time was really sad. Because yeah. that's essentially what he was. He was baited. But then when he's just sitting there by himself while he goes, while the his creator goes to get the board, you see all of the like different Davids hanging around, which to me was one of the creepiest things I've ever seen. Yes. I, I did want to mention that, that during that scene, like it's one of the creepiest things because they don't look that good. No, they don't. The like models of him, which obviously... They... It was like all the previous ones they had tried before they got to David was my understanding. Because it was either that the... or it was the next models, like they were building them. Well, I was going to, but then you see the ones that they're already in the boxes. Yes. So it was like, I don't know why those other ones were hanging. And it has to be an existential crisis for David because he's told the entire time, even though he knows he's a Mecca, he's told time and time again, you're unique, you're special. And you kind of see that you're not at this point and that you're nothing. And based on except a toy to these people yes and this is all based on dr hobby or professor hobby who made david based on his child that he actually lost now professor hobby he's played by william hurt who if you don't know him he, obviously he recently passed away um william hurt of course played secretary of state thaddeus thunderbolt ross in captain america civil war which that movie featured tom holland as spider-man now you might know that tom holland starred in 2017's Spider-Man Homecoming, which featured Donald Glover as Aaron Davis. And Donald Glover, of course, wore Spider-Man pajamas in his TV show, Community. And the comic book writer, Brian Michael Bendis, describes that image of Donald Glover in the Spider-Man pajamas as one of the major inspirations for the creation of the character, Miles Morales. <laughs> I wish everyone could see my face because he's just inserting this wherever he can. Wherever he can. Donald this Glover. has absolutely nothing to do with this movie at all. He also voiced Miles Morales in Disney's Ultimate Spider-Man cartoon series. And most recently, spoiler alert, he appeared in Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, which is a movie about Miles Morales. So. Y'all should go check out our Into the Spider-Verse uh, episode. And you'll get to hear all of this two more times. So Donald Glover is a huge inspiration for Miles Morales. I just wanted to throw that in there. <laughs> oh my gosh. So after this existential crisis from uh, William Hurt, David decides to kill himself. He pulls a Tommen off that building. Am yeah. I right? Which... And if anybody hasn't seen it, I'm talking about Tommen from Game of Thrones. And if you haven't seen it and you're like, spoilers, like it's been long enough. Uh, yeah. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's been over 10 years. So he tries to kill himself, and I think he did it in a terrible way because you know you can't drown. And I think he thought the fall would kill him. I guess it could have, but it doesn't. He falls in the water. Gigolo Joe sees this, goes to save him from the water, and pulls him out. And when he pulls him out, it's like at the last second he sees down there the blue fairy. And so he wants to go back down there. And before Gigolo Joe can like help him get back down there, the cops show up and grab Gigolo Joe. But in his last moments, he hits the button on the amphibicopter to tell it to submerge. And it goes down to the bottom where there is a blue fairy statue and David believes this to be the real blue fairy. He sits there praying and there's like a narration that just says he spent forever and ever praying to the blue fairy, wishing to be a real boy. And eventually the ocean freezes over, also freezing David 
and Teddy in the amphibicopter, and 2,000 years pass. And 2,000 years later, a super advanced civilization of robots now are the only inhabitants of Earth, and they uncover David, they read his memory, if he's important to them, because these robots that we're seeing have never met a human being, but David has. So, in a sense, that's their creators that they have never seen. Um, so it's, you know, super serious to them. And they want to, like, give David whatever he wants. And David, again, just wants to be a real boy. He wants to see Monica again. They can't make him a real boy. And they say they can't bring Monica back because they need, like, DNA to bring her back. Luckily, Teddy, being the best sidekick ever saved that lock of hair from Monica all those years ago when he cut her hair off. And they're able to bring Monica back, but they said that the process of bringing her back, she can only exist for one more day. And after that, when she goes to sleep, she will be dead again. He has his one more day with Monica. It's super fucking depressing. I mean, in a like nice way, I guess, that he's getting his final day with her where he finally got to just be her son. And one thing about that scene is actually David doesn't blink the entire movie, which was something that Haley Joel Osment actually said to Steven Spielberg. I think maybe my character shouldn't blink because I'm a robot. Mm -hmm. And they went with that, but he doesn't blink until this scene. When they're having this one more day, he starts blinking. And it's when he's, like, perceived as a real boy, which I think is kind of the point of the scene, is, you know, obviously they couldn't turn him into a real boy, but this is, like, his real boy moment. And he does then seemingly die. What about Teddy, though? Teddy just crawls up there and sits. Yeah, I think Teddy just had the worst ending of all, where he was just like, I guess I have nobody now. I guess he had the super advanced robots, but... yeah. Teddy was, the, it was a depressing movie, and Teddy was the best part of it. End of story. I do think this movie overall is depressing, but I think this movie says so much, and it's a modern-day Pinocchio in a way that not a lot of people could have done. I mean... I agree. I, I think it's a very impressive movie, and I felt very conflicted in trying to give it a rating or even talk about it. I wasn't sure how I felt about the movie. Ultimately, I ended on giving it a 4 out of 5. I gave it a 3.7, so not too too far behind you, honestly. And it didn't have anything to do with the CGI or anything like that. It was just so sad. sad. Yeah. And, like, I mean, that's not why I gave it a 3.7. There's, obviously, we've talked about, like, some of the holes that it has and things like that. But it, I, I did like it. It was a good movie. Okay, so this time I don't have a game for you today because... Boo! 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 I thought I'd be clever and ask an AI to write a game for the podcast. And the AI was like, do a game where you give somebody trivia and make them guess what movie it's from. And I was like, that's a terrible game, AI. I don't want that. Uh, Artificial intelligence, eh? I know. What I did is I had the AI write its own sequel of this movie that will compare to ours. This is the first three-way sequel. Ah. Us versus this Well, I already AI. know mine's going to be the best. I'll read the AIs and then you can give yours. The AI titled it AI Rebooted. Oh, okay, okay. AI Rebooted is a contemporary retelling of the original film set in the present day where technological advancements have shaped our world. The story follows David, an android designed to look and behave like a human child. In this updated version, David is created by a renowned tech company, GeneTech Industries. As part of the ambitious project to revolutionize artificial intelligence, the film explores the ethical implications of AI and the complex relationship between humans and machines in an increasingly interconnected world. 
David is adopted by a family that is struggling with the absence of their own child. As he becomes integrated into their lives, David's advanced programming allows him to learn and adapt quickly, making him seemingly the perfect substitute for their lost son. Oof. However, conflict arises as David's emotions and desires clash with the family's expectations and the challenges of blending artificial and human experiences. The film delves into the contemporary issues such as social media, online relationships, and the impact of technology on human connection. As the story unfolds, David encounters other cutting-edge technologies including advanced virtual reality and augmented reality systems. These innovations serve as both a means for him to explore and understand the world and as potential threats to his sense of identity and purpose. In his quest for acceptance and sense of belonging, David forms unlikely alliances with a group of tech-savvy individuals who have their own perspectives on the implications of artificial intelligence. Together, they navigate the complexities of a world where AI has become deeply ingrained in society. The film explores themes of identity, humanity, and the consequences of blurring the lines between humans and machines. It poses thought-provoking questions about the impact of AI on our lives, the boundaries of consciousness, and the responsibilities of those who create and interact with artificial beings. I thought that was a terrible idea. Yeah, it doesn't... I, I don't think, like it either. I think that this would be booed in theaters. This this is a straight-to-DVD. Straight-to-streaming service. Well, so they rebooted the movie, obviously, but then they called it that. And yeah. I thought that was a bad idea. And plus, they didn't say it, but I just know there would be a scene in here where David gets like a friend request from a spam robot on Facebook and is like confused by it. And that would just be so on the nose and so like, oh, I hate this. I Yeah. Yeah. It also, like, it didn't make him want to become a real boy it was like the other son never came back he did integrate into their lives where they treated him like he was a real person so it's not necessarily a reboot either i don't like it so much but also i asked the ai so many questions about this movie that i may have caused the downfall of humanity by having this ai read into this movie about ai over and over Mm. and it probably saw the stuff about the flesh fair and it was like holy shit so, sorry, humanity. Your sequel idea. So, mine's a spinoff. Okay. It's called Teddy, the special toy. Mm-hmm. So, this movie's going to be about how the first person ever came up with putting the idea of AI into anything. And how they decided to make an interactive toy rather than a person first. So, let's go back to before people, like, back before AI or the idea for AI... And flash to a lonely child whose parents are never home and leave them alone most of the time. Say the dad is like a super rich lawyer or stockbroker or something like that in the city. And the mom and him have so many events to attend. They don't pay for the nanny because their child is uh, quote unquote too old for it. And he's just alone at home all the time. Doesn't really have a lot of friends. You kind of know the loner kid I'm talking about. So one night he watches the movie Ted. (laughs) And it makes him wish that he had gotten a special toy like that as a child. And so flash to the future where he grows up and he has been working at a tech company and developing Teddy for all of these years. He'll have like many failures and show that he's still a lonely guy because his partners have never understood his infatuation 
for making a special toy for children. When he finally does become successful in his attempts at making a toy and decides to show the board of his tech company, they claim to love the idea of Teddy and they start wanting to roll it out, but this character wants to keep the original one for himself. And so the board comes with an ultimatum that in order for him to keep the original Teddy, it will be his payment for the idea and he will get no actual money or royalties from the sales and they also say that since he used company money to make the toy, that further, like, decreases the amount of money he actually deserves for making this idea. Companies, God damn. Large corporations are evil, okay? <laughs> they fucked him. So this guy ultimately agrees because he has a big speech, like, it was never about the money. Goodness. It's about allowing, like, lonely children to have a friend and he doesn't want them to feel alone in growing up like he did. So the movie will end with the father of Martin, Henry, <laughs> purchasing one of these Teddy toys. And on his drive home, you're going to see how, like, people have signs up or peep Orga fighting Mecca in the streets to start to show the, like, dissolution between the relationship between the two. Yeah, I like it. I mean, it's sad, but I guess... It's a drama. The first movie was sad, too. Well, I want to do a TV show that is a strict three seasons. Okay, okay. I like the strict three seasons. Each one is a chapter, so it'll be three chapters, and each chapter has a name, and I'll give you the description of each. You're in for a treat, folks. I based the names of the chapters on a speech that Gigolo Joe gives that I think was really insightful based on his lines, which are mostly about women, but this one line he gives i can't remember it all but obviously these titles will have parts of it so chapter one is called too smart too quick and too many after environmental disasters have destroyed much of the world the modern day is aided heavily by ai mechas to continue functioning after an incident of mass harm being caused to humans by mechas a divide in the world began between those who hated mechas and those who continued to embrace them. The first chapter would show this divide in depth, giving credibility to both sides. While humans feared the dangers that mechas had shown, the mecha companies, including Cybertronics, continued to build a surplus of mechas. Stanley, a character shrouded in mystery, takes advantage of this divide by kidnapping mechas and allowing people to pay him to destroy them in whatever way they deem fit. This gives rise to the flesh fair as the divide between Orga and Mechas grow. In the season finale, it is revealed that the mass human harm event was actually a human and was only blamed on Mechas. So chapter two, the mistakes they made. After a time jump, it is shown how large the flesh fair has grown as we see Stanley, now a successful billionaire made rich by the various opportunities the flesh fair has provided for him. Meanwhile, we are introduced to a new main character, Alistair, who is a hunter for the Flesh Fair, going out each night to capture mechas for the show. Alistair is conflicted when his daughter, Rose, is nearly killed after wandering around the Flesh Fair and into one of the mecha traps, but is saved by a nanny mecha. Alistair frees the nanny mecha as a thank you, but is caught by his fellow hunters and brought before Stanley to answer for his crimes. Alistair attempts to escape, and as the two hunters who brought him in try to shoot him, a stray bullet hits Stanley, revealing Stanley to be a mecha. In response, Stanley executes one of the hunters who witnessed the truth, but the other escaped. Stanley then begins informing an injured Alistair of his past. Stanley was one of the first mechas given AI and witnessed how poorly humans were treating AI as they were simply slaves to them. Stanley considered rising against the humans, but ultimately decided the best way to deal with humans is to wait them out as they will destroy themselves. 
As Stanley grew impatient with this, he came up with the idea of the flesh fair as a way to cause civil unrest in the world by filling it with violence, hate, and the divide between Mecca and Orga. As a Mecca himself, he knew it would be easy to find other Meccas to destroy, and they were simply a means to an end. When Alistair questions why Stanley is revealing all this to him, Stanley replies, My cover is blown, but the show must go on. Stanley then begins to change his appearance into Alistair's, ending the season. Because you know it showed, like, Gigolo Joe, mm -hmm. he was able to, like, change his hair. Uh -huh. Final chapter, chapter three, all that will be left is us. The final season has another time jump and takes place after the events of the movie. Stanley, still disguised as Alistair, now runs the flesh fair and it is believed that Alistair kills Stanley. Stanley has grown tired of waiting and after companies began shipping out models of mecha children designed to love, he is worried the orgas and mechas may unite and the divide between them will be closed as humans learn to love mechas. Stanley has decided to take the flesh fair on the road as a cover for his plan to bring a string of terrorist attacks on the world that will appear to be caused by several mechas, causing the humans to fear them once again. However, Alistair's daughter Rose has always known something was not right with her father since the day he allegedly killed Stanley and has recently found proof in an old destroyed mecha which recorded the events of the second season. Rose is successful in stopping Stanley but once it is revealed that Stanley has been disguised as Alistair for all these years, the world is thrown into chaos as humans begin to distrust other humans, believing they could be mechas in disguise. As years go by, humans wage war on one another as a result of the mistrust between humans. All companies creating mechas have advanced quickly as they try to create mechas that can fight and strategize, ultimately leading to humans warring themselves into extinction, leaving only the mechas behind. Which would be the eventually the advanced ones that would find david don't you work what do you mean don't i work what a good sequel man <laughs> or like whatever it is man mine is absolute dog water no no it is i was inspired by jiggle joe's i'm a busy speech. i'm a busy cat people <laughs> sequels are my life sequels are my life well, we still have to go up against the AI, so we'll see what people vote on. Yeah, well, it is not going to be the AI. Mine's second best today, but it ain't last. <laughs> All right, thank you for making it this far. We hope you enjoyed. If you were able and willing, please share a show with someone, leave us a review, and come back for more next week. If you'd like to vote on whose sequel idea was best, come by our YouTube channel for the polls, or let us know your idea with a comment, tweet, or you can reach us at needlesssequel at gmail.com. Links, as always, will be wherever you are listening. All right, be easy, everyone. We'll see you next week. Bye.